Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. My name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of this week's podcast. I'm here today with Dean West. I'm so excited to have you to talk with you here today, Dean. Oh, it's always fun. Uh, you know, like everybody, I just wish I could spend more time building digital relationships. This has been outstanding. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, got a voice for, I've got a voice for radio, as my mom told me years ago. <laughs> I think you do. Um, so I am really excited to talk with you. Uh, tell us, our audience, a little bit about you and your, your company. Sure. Uh, so I started in association management because my father was a state representative and suggested I become a lobbyist. And then I kind of moved my way up into bigger cities, or I became an executive director twice. And then I started Association Laboratory in 1999. And the company basically works on three things. One is we do uh, research and strategy consulting services, and we're um, actually one of the few companies that works across the domain. So we work in strategic planning, we work in membership, uh, we work in education components, et cetera. Because frankly, my philosophy was always, you know, all the different pieces of the puzzle have to fit together. Um, over the last several years, we've built out the second component under the Looking Forward brand, which is an examination of the evolving association business model. And that, that data is uh, part of a lot of my presentations. And what we do is look at what are the factors that impact um, association members and their relationship with the association, what challenges does that create, and what are people doing about it? So for example, this summer, we tested over 136 different strategies that associations were uh, looking at. And on November 10, we're actually um, releasing the DEI benchmarking study. It's the only one of its kind in the association sector. All of that data, of course, is free and it's all um, available at our Looking Forward dashboard. Um, and then finally, we produce uh, senior level educational content and leadership experiences designed to translate that sector data into improved competencies for association leaders. So uh, between those three wings, it's keeping us busy, but we're having a lot of fun figuring out what works and what doesn't work in association management and leadership. That's great. Exciting stuff. It is exciting. It's fun to see, it's fun to see what people are doing. There's some innovative folks out there doing uh, good stuff and, uh, and it's working. And uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for the sector right now. So Dean, tell, talk to us a little bit about you know this whole pandemic experience. Has it changed the, your thoughts about the future of the association industry? I think uh, generally, no, I think it's accelerated things more so than changed them. Um, prior to the pandemic, um, the association community was already experimenting with online and digital, digital relationships as an example. The technology platforms were becoming easier and cheaper. Um, there was a growing frustration. Um, I think among association leaders, they were insufficiently reaching their broader audience. And so there, were, there was already consideration of those issues in, in, on member value proposition, content strategy, and strategic planning engagements in particular. A lot of the conversation was, how do we get beyond the people who just show up at our event? Mm-hmm. And so what the pandemic did was accelerate a lot of those initiatives that, w- that would have taken five years now. We all know what we can do in five months. And, and so that is not to negate the value of the face-to-face meetings. They are still important. But I think the broader portfolio of associations now is frankly much broader and more diverse, and that's going to benefit them moving forward. And what was incredibly hard and complicated in 2020 will be just another activity in 2025, um, the way we produce meetings and conventions fairly routinely. 
Yep. Yeah, I said it's really also has changed kind of expectations of our our members and customers, and um, yep. but also produced a, a lot of a lot of opportunities. Um, so talk to us a little bit about you know some opportunities that you're seeing. I think the biggest opportunity for associations involves a balance, and, and it's a balance of of financial return versus audience reach. Um, when we did the uh, the sector study, the um, economic and strategic implications of COVID-19 on the association sector in the heart of the pandemic, approximately of the thousand plus respondents, about 30% of gross revenue came from face-to-face -face meetings. Mm -hmm. So the financial model was really built around the big conference and the big trade show. But the people who liked the big conference and the big trade show were a tiny percentage of most associations, members and stakeholder audiences. And so what came out of the pandemic was how do we use online and digital and virtual and other technology-based solutions to reach a broader number of people? And so some of the experiments with online conferences had far more attendees or participants, if you will, than face-to-face -face events. But the association sector hasn't figured out how to price those in ways that make them at least sufficiently profitable to replace lost face-to-face -face meeting. And they haven't figured out yet how to incorporate them into their face-to-face. -face. But that's a natural evolution, that's a natural learning curve. And so I think for most associations, there are going to be strategies that give them substantial reach into their audiences, which give them a much broader footprint for mission-based activities and for product-based activities and for membership and balancing that with their traditional activities in face-to-face -face in, in uh, trade shows and things of that nature. And it's that balancing act that I think is gonna be the biggest challenge for groups. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I've, we have, um, as you know, um, we'll talk about a little bit that you're speaking for us at our upcoming conference, and we're seeing that um, there are people that still want to engage virtually, even though we're having a, an in-person event. So we've got a probably 50% of our attendance will be virtual and 50% will be in person. So it's really trying to figure out what is that sweet spot and, and, and how do we, um, um, you know, what does that look like for the future? Yeah. And I think that's that's something associations yeah. are really going to have to to consider. Well, yeah. and again, I, I I think it's it's not a, a good or bad. It's a good. So you know, we're releasing our data on our um, association DEI benchmarking study on November ten, and we, uh, we've just started the hard promotion for it. We've already have over three hundred people registered for it, and um, we had to expand our Zoom license, of course. As a result, um, we'd never put three hundred people into a room. Um, right. And so the, the, the impact of that data gets translated into a much broader audience. And so if you're an association with a national audience or a global audience, these digital platforms um, give you a phenomenal amount of capability and capacity to extend your reach in ways that you could never have done 10 years ago and to customize by audience, which is one of the biggest global concerns out of our research in ways you never could have a year ago without spending so much staff time, leadership time, and um, energy figuring out how much coffee you need to have. Right. You gotta put in a room, which no one cares about, you know? And, and so I think, again, it's a balancing act, but the portfolio of options that associations have now have never been greater. The barriers to using digital and, and online platforms to reach a broader audience um, have never been lower. And, and mm -hmm. so for me, that's, a, that's the most substantial emerging opportunity for associations. And then what we're seeing on our sector research 
the most substantial emerging strategy is content strategy yeah. because it's the easiest strategy to reach new or emerging audiences um, across a broad geographic area that you could never do in face-to-face -face meetings. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing on the research side. And what are you seeing as some of the challenges? Well, uh, compare how easy it is for most associations to produce the, the you know, the annual conference. Um, there is a whole cadre of professionals who've, who've been trained to do it. PCMA and MPI yeah. specialize in it. There's a whole vendor community knows how to produce it. The hotels know how to help you. Everyone knows how to price it. So the entire sector knows how to produce those face-to-face -face meetings. Your attendees know how to attend them. They know how to register, how to go to the hotel, how to go to the meeting. Um, on the online and virtual activities, there's much less certainty on the association side and much uh, and lower levels of competency on how to do it. They just haven't been doing it for as long as intensely. Okay, um, for most associations, if you counted the number of people who understood and were involved in meeting planning versus online and digital platform strategy, you know, it'd probably be a big disparity. So the association community is less experienced at doing it. The vendor community is less experienced at doing it. The attendees have less experience in understanding how to navigate it and what they should pay for and where the value is to it. Well, again, what would have happened pre-pandemic is over the over a period of years, all of us would have gone through that learning curve. But now the pandemic has forced all of us to go through that learning curve much more quickly. Um, it means boards were much more likely, if not forced to consider these digital and online alternatives that they might've been hesitant to before. Because yeah. it's really fun if you're a member of the board to walk across that stage, stage and get applauded at the big meeting. It's not <laughs> right. near as fun to have your headshot on a Zoom call. And, and so a lot of your emotional rewards and leadership was the big conference, you know, and being invited to the receptions and, you know, having all the flags on your name badge, stuff like that. So a lot of the emotional satisfaction for our volunteers kind of goes away with that. But it's um, all of us are were forced to go through a much faster learning curve because of the pandemic, which is going to benefits the associations who went down that path because they didn't have to endure it. Um, people were forced to do it on their behalf. And I think that's gonna help everybody. And again, five years from now, we'll produce virtual events without a thought because yeah. everyone will have done it. Um, again, I have a small firm. We've been doing them for a year. Um, we produce virtual events and virtual facilitations and we've done virtual strategic planning, et cetera, et cetera. And now we do it routinely. We don't really think about it. In fact, one of my new staff, I actually had to orient her how we do a face-to-face -face strategic plan facilitation. <laughs> we did our first one with her a couple of weeks ago, and I, I realized I'd never actually talked through how we do it face-to-face. -face. Um, so it's um, so just that learning curve, even from all of our, again, everybody, not just the associations, but the supplier side, the attendee side, et cetera, is better now. And it'll never be, uh, it'll just get better and better from now on. Yeah, I think that was, I saw some big frustrations from, um, association execs that would call and say, my meetings person doesn't know how to do this event. They're all upset. And I was like, because they've never done it before. Like we have to have some patience. Like this is all new to everybody. And while there's, and, and to your point, there was also the vendors moved so quickly adding new features and things that More capacity. Yeah. yeah. And capacity. And so there was a lot of, um, growing pains and challenges, but, um, I do agree that it's, uh, something we're all going to be better off for and, and really be able to extend our reach um, yeah. both, you know, and, and our reach globally too, is, you know, there's people that won't 
never wanted to travel maybe to the meetings. Yeah. Well, and I think where there's two benefits, um, again, we spent a year with our audience uh, in our market for all of us. We're pretty patient with the learning curve. Yeah. Because they realized everyone was going through it. So it's not that your association was terrible and the other association was good. Everyone was trying to figure it out. And I remember some of our first virtual conferences we did, you know, in the summer of 2020, some were kind of creaky, you know, but everyone kind of got it. You know, why we struggled with, do we have a good microphone? Do we have good lighting? You know, share our screen, all the stuff. People are pretty patient with us in ways they would not have been without a pandemic. The other thing, and I want to go back to your workforce issue, because I think in the competence issue, because I think it's important is what associations did to produce a virtual event is turn to their meeting planners because they they framed it as we're just doing a meeting, but we're doing online. If you had to do it all over again, you'd turn to your um, TV show producer. Yeah. Um, what you're really like the way I've framed, cause we do small events and the way I framed it with my staff is we're producing a late night talk show. You know, there's a monologue, you know, that's your keynote speech. There's a panel discussion that's interviewing the guests. There's some entertainment. That's the game you do or the, you know, the poll you do, you know, on a, on a very small stage, um, you break people into small rooms. That's the break. So if you think of it as a, as a late night TV show, um, and you're, you're man and you're producing it all of a sudden the competencies in your association really change. And yeah. you've, I'm sure you've seen, you know, people post, here's the command center for their virtual conference and it's 15 TV shows and it looks like something you'd see at NBC or, right. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, you guys just, you know, and, and, and the amount of time that it took, yep. people didn't really have that initial like respect for right they're like oh we just throw it online yeah the Um, (laughs) staff time it takes even for i 100 agree i think that's what surprised a lot of us is how much time it took yeah i think for most of us we didn't and how um intentional you had to be like a minute by minute exactly the way i described it is like you're doing a face-to-face meeting everybody knows when you're done speaking and then they get up and leave but if you have to put them into like a, a zoom room you know for a focus group or something like that you had to send them there which meant yeah. you had to pick who went there. So you had to be much more intentional in ways I think a lot of us didn't understand. But again, for the most part, all of us have battered through that. And yeah. uh, there were some really exciting innovations out there on the association side, on the vendor side. All our vendors are better. But I think absolutely. Moving, yeah, and, and I think moving forward, what it really did was create a critical mass of understanding among leaders that your digital infrastructure and your digital strategy were going to be essential to success much faster than they thought. And again, we saw that coming out of our environmental scanning work a couple of years ago. That's why I say it was accelerated. I first started talking about it probably five, six years ago about this is the digital and online component of strategy, but we never got forced to move that way. The, the, the pandemic forced us to do that. And it highlighted where we frankly were weak at it. We didn't know what to do or our systems wouldn't do what they would do or the interoperability between systems wouldn't work, which is one of my own company's problems. And so that digital infrastructure and technical infrastructure and the competencies to run it and the strategy to apply it are arguably more important than our face-to-face meeting competencies. And I think the danger is that associations that have conservative mindsets are going to think, okay, how do we kind of go back to our meetings, supplement it with this online and digital, instead of saying, you know, this is actually the future. How do we have um, a high reach digital online strategy and corresponding infrastructure and competencies supported by face-to-face? 
Yeah, and, there's, and it's that balancing act. And I, and I think that's the danger that we'll abandon the innovations that the pandemic forced on us to go back to the way things were. And if we do that, we'll get what we always had, the same 20% of your members showing up, paying you the, the same money to talk to the same vendors. Right. And it'll be right. great for 20% of your audience. Yeah. You, remind, awesome. you reminded me of a story, Dean, when we did our um, Solutions Day last year, when we did it virtually, we had a little hiccup for about 30 seconds. And I reflected on that and I said, if we were in a in-person meeting and the audio went out, right? Or something happened yeah. with a slide, everyone's like sitting around waiting and because they can see what's going on. When yeah. you're online, they don't know what's going on. If someone's fixing it, people are starting to chat, oh, yeah. you know, um, yeah. you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And we had one of our, our participants said, panic at the disco. I was like, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it was panic at the disco, but we're like, we've got it. That is um, actually a good way. Like I remember when my own, we gave a virtual event last January when we released our first sector study on looking forward impact. And so we had, we ended up presenting from the OLC center in Rosemont with a great place to have meetings, face-to-face -face meetings, everybody. But we ended up moving it all virtual. Um, and so I'm presenting from the front of the room because you got the high def TV and they got all the good stuff you want, the sound, the whole bit. And I started to talk and my, my slides went advance. And I don't know why. And the guitar room's in the back and you can't stop in the middle of your keynote and say, hey, my slides aren't advanced because all this is, you know, you can't like, right. you, you know, you can't kind of wing it in the same way you can in face to face, you know. Well, what I hadn't done is put the pointer on the screen, which told my computer, I'm now looking at my presentation. And so it was hilarious. The guy from the control room comes all the way to the front of the room, you know, 40 yard walk, you've been to the OLC center and like yeah. taps my screen and now everything works. But it was something as simple as that, everything got hung up. Yeah. You can't, you can't leave, you can't do anything yeah. about it in some respect. Yeah. So I think that's the learning curve we all went through, but people were patient, pretty yeah. patient with it, so. So the Dean, about, by the way, the other good news about those things is you can edit the video and you can't edit face to face. So, true. To be honest, that's that's saving me a lot of. A lot of so. Good point. Yeah, my lack uh, of my lack of filters sometimes <laughs> comes through on face to face. So. And your staff's like, oh, you yeah, need yeah. to cut that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. calls them deanisms. There's another deanism where they just shake their head at me. I invent new consulting slang terms for things like, you know, oh. like. Was my favorite one in engageism. That was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Catch this, it. Yeah, you can use that trademark associational. <laughs> well, no. So, Dean, talk to us a little bit about what are you seeing on uh, how association business models um, are changing, or are they changing, or do they need to change? Uh, that's an essay question. <laughs> uh, I think the basic mission-based strategies are going to be similar. Um, at the end of the day, um, I'll use a healthcare association example, just generic. There's still going to be the discovery, um, the research component. There's going to still going to be the continuing education or CME component. There's still going to be advocacy goals at the state level or the national level. Um, there's going to still be what we call external advocacy. You know, when the, when the pediatricians say, you know, get your kid immunized, that's an example of an external um, advocacy strategy. And so a lot of the, the, mission-based things are all very similar. One thing will change is in order to be successful, they are going to have, associations are going to have to invest in digital infrastructure and digital competencies and digital strategy. Now, strategy is still strategy. So digital strategy isn't that 
we use a, now we use a computer instead of some other measure. It's like how do we take advantage of the the capabilities of the platform and the lack of barriers to its use in ways that we haven't thought of before. So this, the the so we get a lot of content strategy um, clients now, as an example. People calling about reach and how do we reach new audiences and things of that nature. So the strategy side is big, and having the platform to implement your strategy is big. So we have a client, for example, that's taken them almost two years to put the platform in place to implement the strategy our research tells them they'll have to do to be successful. And so there's that transition to that. I think the third part relates to this go back to the office part, which is a lot. I'm old enough to remember where a a very popular business book was um, management by walking around. In the, in the big, and I know you're not old enough, Sherry, to remember it, but I am. But it's like, a, it was a business book that whose advice to executives was get out of your office and walk around and see people face to face. Yep. So what you have is a generation of executives who have been trained to manage and lead people in a face-to-face setting. Well, those competencies don't necessarily translate into um, virtual offices. Uh, so my own company has been virtual since 2003. Um, nobody has to get up and go to the central office. And so the pandemic didn't impact our office operations in any respect. But you have to have different people under a virtual office model who don't require daily supervision. Um, uh, you, as a leader, you have to be better at, at, at defining outcomes as opposed to process. Um, and giving people freedom to, to get to the outcome, however you get there, because you're not there day to day. And I originally started because I traveled too much. I wouldn't have been there regardless. So I think what you have is, is a business model that is over-reliant on face-to-face meetings that is underdeveloped um, on its technology infrastructure is weak when it comes to digital strategy and di- digital strategy competencies and their execution and a leadership class, particularly the 55 plus, that has, a, for the last generation, been successful because they know how to lead in a face-to-face setting. And um, watching associations go through this transition is going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah and, I, and, and I honestly, just end that note, and then I'll, I'll shut up, Sherry. I apologize. But like, I think that's one of the reasons you're starting to see so many um, association CEOs retire and get fired because they're looking at what they're going to have to do differently in the latter years of their career and they know they're going to have to learn new competencies and the board knows they're going to have to learn new competencies and they're unwilling to because what's different for example the financial crisis your portfolio during the financial crisis went down and so you you know 10 12 years whatever that was that seems forever ago now um so you kept your job um but now your portfolio got really good over the last year or two and so you could get out yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons, and then our study for AMC Institute a couple of years ago said almost 60% of association CEOs were, were retirement eligible. And we defined that as 60 years, and plus, uh, 60 years plus. So that's one of the reasons I think you're going to see a lot of people get fired because the boards are going to be impatient with their inability to make this transition. And a lot of people quit because they're unwilling to make that transition. And that's going to create opportunities for the next generation of executives, frankly, who are going to do a great job. Yeah. Um, and you made a point about even prior to the pandemic, we started getting folks that were coming to us saying, Sherry, we've got this new strategic plan and everything has a technology component yep. to it. What do we do? 
Yeah. We're like, well, you have a lot of work to do, people. Yeah. And, and, um, it, and you have to sustain it over time. That's the hardest, yeah. you know, because you guys just do such great work, but it's not something you show up on Monday and you're done by Friday. Right. You know. Well, and, and to your point, the CEOs really have to lead this and there has to be a culture around, you know, how do we improve not only how do we implement new technologies, but a lot of people don't even know how to do that, right? Yeah. Or they don't have a culture that, um, that the staff is focused on, you know, how do we improve operations and deliver um, to our customers um, and improve that customer experience. So there's a, a lot of components. We could probably have we'll have another um, podcast in the future and we can talk all about that. Yeah. Well, I think you make a good segue though. So on the, on, when we do the market research and, and the membership research, what, one of the just fundamental conclusions that has come out of this, and in fact, we have a webinar in, later in, I think November 17th on this, which is associations are structured around product lines. You know, you've got a meetings department, advocacy, education, et cetera. And so that creates a fragmented um, viewpoint to your members who don't care how you're structured it also creates fragmentation on your technology infrastructure. The databases don't talk, the interoperability issues. And so I think the, the basic structure on these product lines for associations is one of their biggest weaknesses because their markets don't care about it and it doesn't help them serve their markets in a holistic way. And it doesn't help them put their technology asset um, you know, together in a way that allows you to take advantage of it. You spend your whole time fixing technology problems and connecting databases and, and data points instead of using it for reach and customization and um, service, which is what it's designed for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dean, before we wrap up um, sure. for today, uh, well, I'm really excited that you're gonna be speaking at absolutely. our upcoming Solutions Day on November 10th at uh, the American Society of Anesthesiology in Schaumburg. Yeah, um, great so, location. I'm excited to go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what we can expect um, from you uh, on the 10th. Sure. Uh, so we've done uh, two substantial studies over the last 10 months. Uh, the first, we studied every 76 different factors across six domains that impact association members and their relationship with the association. Then we assessed 136 solutions um, as to what association leaders consider um, critical to their success moving forward. And we identified some themes out of that research that basically say, here's what's going to impact your decision, your strategic decisions moving forward, and here's what your peers are doing about it. And so what I'm going to do is introduce those themes to the audience, and then we've got a great panel because it's also important to think of the themes from your own association's perspective, your own sector's perspective too. Um, and uh, it'll be great to hear their perspective on it as well. Um, but, and then everyone who participates in the conference then gets um, free access to that data um, through looking for a dashboard as well as two um, executive summaries uh, for people who don't want to go to the dashboard and just want to use it. But the dashboard allows you to customize it and download stuff for your board and stuff like that. Um, and then the two documents that um, will come with the registration as well. So you're going to get a lot of sector data. You're going to get interpretation of that sector data. And you're going to have a couple of smart people on the panel telling you what they think it that means and all of us answering your questions. Um, so it's uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time that day. Yeah, it's great. I'm really excited. I'm glad that you'll be able to join us. Um, so any final thoughts before we, we wrap up today? This was a great discussion and, and I really appreciate your time. You know, I think uh, all of us running organizations have had a long year. Sherry and I, you and I are talking about at the front end and a lot of us kind of took a breath this summer and that's all okay. And we're doing some deferred maintenance on all our organizations on the stuff we didn't have time over the last year. 
Um, but there is nothing we see out of our environmental scanning that indicates associations don't have phenomenal opportunities moving forward. Our sector has nothing but examples of leaders who have taken um, advantage of the last year to drive strategic change. And I think um, we have raised the bar for our entire sector as to what is possible as organizations. And we'll look back at this time as one we're incredibly proud of as an executive class. And um, it's just gonna get more fun as we hear other people's stories of resilience, other people's stories of adaptation and other people's stories of success. And yeah, we had some hard days and some hard weeks, um, but a line I use in a lot of speeches, the pandemic has tested us, but it has not bested us. And, uh, and it's gonna be exciting over the next year or two to see how associations and their supporting cast on the supplier and hospitality and et cetera industries come out of the back end of the pandemic, um, frankly, stronger, more innovative and more agile when we're going in. And that's gonna be nothing but beneficial to members and other stakeholders. That's, that's a great way to end this uh, this podcast today. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Uh, you can email me at dwest at associationlaboratory.com um, or call our uh, Chicago office at 312-224-2626. Um, email, of course, is always best because it's uh, uh, you know we're a new class now and no one talks to anybody. Um, right. And again, I encourage people to go to our website, associationlaboratory.com. Um, we have information on upcoming education on the looking forward um, uh, data and how to access the dash dashboard. Again, November 10th, we're releasing the DEI benchmarking study. It's the only one of its kind in our sector um, that's free to participate. And um, and I would all and I would end with this, my to give you a sense of uh, my personality, my corporate blog is called From My Seat at the Bar because I travel enough and you're sitting or sitting at a uh, you know hotel bar somewhere by yourself and you have some great idea. And uh, it's fair to say it's one of the more irreverent takes on our fine sector. Uh, my most recent one is why my wife called me fat. <laughs> and uh, we can, so if you want to have, uh, she's often my inspiration, but I encourage people to see that on our website. It's, it's, it's read far more often than any corporate stuff we put out. <laughs> so um, I, that's, if you want to have some, uh, some good laughs, I want to, one was titled, what am I eating during the pandemic? Everything. Another one is what am I drinking during the pandemic? Everything. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple of good ones. It'll, um, they all apply back to business. Don't worry, but uh, yeah, they're pretty funny. Some of them, there's my, my final promo for dean's personal retirement plan as a <laughs> blogger that's great well thanks so much dean i really appreciate your time oh, it's fun being on i appreciate the opportunity looking forward to seeing everybody out at asa it's a great facility i know you got a great crowd already and a great education um excited to go out great, great. thank you We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.